um, which is pretty cool because our community can be here with us. So women across the country will be able to listen to this as well. So it'll be really nice to be able to offer that. Um, having said that, we're going to have a panel. We may open up for some questions. So if you do ask a question, you will be on the podcast. So <laughs> um, you asking that would just be considered your consent for that. So um, that is one of the main things. You know, the idea for this event, I would actually say probably a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, our community, we do have some things, but we're so small, it's hard to find a lot of events that help us feel really connected. And I kept thinking, like, that'd be so great, that'd be so fun to do something and then actually here in this building, in the room right over there, I was doing spinning as I call it, RPM as they call it, and um, I realized that this was the event that needed to happen. And it was um, quite interesting because I could visualize the people, not you exactly, <laughs> but I could visualize people being here and I could visualize the exact speakers. And it was in that moment that I knew that this was supposed to happen. I wasn't really sure how it would, to be 100% honest. Um, there, were, there were a lot of things that I needed to be able to figure out, and the very first thing I did was anyone who came to my mind that I just felt strongly called to ask them to help, um, I reached out to them. And so I let the speakers know, I really have this feeling that this is something that's supposed to happen, and luckily, uh, people were willing to come along beside me and help put this together for you. And there were so many wonderful people. I was going to do this at the end, but I'm feeling I'm pregnant, just warning you, so hopefully no tears throughout the night. But um, it'd be really great if anybody that helped with this would stand up real quick so that we can show appreciation for all the work you did. Come on, guys. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Stand up. <laughs> you can eat, Morgan. Don't worry. It's all right. <laughs> You don't have to hold your food down, but um, I just really appreciate all of the women in the community helping to support to get this together. So um, having said all of that, I have thought about probably a hundred things that I would love to leave with you guys. The, the reality is I could do that, but it would probably take us all night, and I know you guys want to get going at some point. So instead, what I will share is that I went to a conference about a month, about two months ago now. Um, it was a RISE conference put on by Rachel Hollis, and Jen Hatmaker spoke. I don't know if anyone's familiar with her, but she's an author and a writer, and she told this amazing story, and I won't do it justice like she did it, but it was absolutely fascinating to me and really hit my heart. Come on in, don't be shy. <laughs> so, the story that she told was actually about elephants, and when she started telling it, I thought, where on earth is she going with this? But what she talked about was, with elephants, when there's a female elephant that is sick, that is giving birth, that has anything going on that it is vulnerable um, and needs protection, the other female elephants line up around and they completely circle that elephant. They don't only circle it to protect it, but they kick up dirt and they do everything in their power to keep predators away, to keep the mom safe, to keep the baby safe. And they don't move until they're ready to be done. And that was such a powerful imagery of the way that we as women can help support each other to be able to stand around each other. And in moments like this where the, the presenters and the panel are going to be vulnerable, we get to be those people to stand around them and to protect them and to support them and to really have solidarity. Because I'm sure that you will hear some stories that will hit home for you. Um, 
that you will be able to maybe have felt some of those same feelings or had some of those same experiences. So I'm really excited for you guys to be here tonight and thank you for taking time um, to be with us. And I just know that you guys are going to love hearing from these women. So having said all of that, that's the mindset I would love for you to keep in mind as we move forward so that we are supporting one another and we are protecting each other and the vulnerability. So our very first presenter, Marnie Moore. I met Marnie, Andrea actually had told me about reflexology, and I have to be honest, Marnie, sorry, but I said, what is reflexology? I've never heard of this. <laughs> and she, was, she explained it to me, and I'll try anything once. And so I said, okay. And so I contacted Marnie and got an appointment. And the minute I met Marnie, I just connected well with her, and I, um, she's just someone, anyone who knows her well, knows that you absolutely love her from the get-go. She has a fantastic heart and a laugh. I love your laugh as well. It's absolutely infectious. <laughs> it's absolutely infectious. And so I knew, because Marnie has shared so much of her life and her beautiful stories, that it would be great for you to be able to hear from her. So do you want to come on up? Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, my name is Marnie Moore, and uh, yeah, I've got, when Kelly asked me to do this, I thought, oh, oh, can anybody guess how scared I am? Because I'm really scared. But when I was looking on Instagram today, and I saw the big brave balloons out there, I thought, okay, I don't feel brave. But I realized in that moment, brave isn't really a feeling, it's an action. And if I had to count all the times I felt brave, uh, one hand. You know, it just isn't a feeling. Maybe it is for some people, but it never has been me, for me. It has just been an action. In fact, I'll take you back to my really early childhood, and trust me, it will not take you through everything. You know, that would be really long, super boring. But, you know, I grew up at the public pool. And I don't know about you, but there was always two kinds of kids. There was the kids that when the lifeguard, you know, blew his whistle, yeah, they were in the pool, they were running, they were jumping. And then there was the kids that slid in on the side, would hold on to the side, would feel like this, and then go like this. And then there was that slopey part that put you into the deep end. And then they would like feel for the slopey part and then look back to see where the side was and decide, can I go into that deep end? Never mind the high dive. Those kids, I didn't know anything about those kids. Those were not my people. My people hung out like this at the side and did this business and looked for the slopey part, you know. That was me. So when you're kind of an... And, and when I grew up, there wasn't like uh, an anxiety disorder. You were a scaredy cat. That's what you were. And you were teased for being a scaredy cat. So you learn dead on, like, I have got to hide this. I don't want to be a scaredy cat. I don't want to get picked out. So you had to learn kind of to be brave, or else you were going to get separated from the herd, you know, and, and you didn't want that. So I didn't know bravery as a, as a feeling, but I knew it as an action, because I was pretty much a scaredy cat when I was a young child, when I was a teenager, and when I was an adult. So... Um, after I graduated, I went to college. That didn't go very well. I went because I didn't know what the heck else to do and everybody else was going. So I ended up leaving school. And then after that, life just kind of happened to me. Um, and 
I don't mean to paint a picture like bad things happen. A million good things happen. I met my husband right over there. That guy married me. Um, he says it's the best thing I ever forced him into. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, five years later, we had my son, Jorgen, the absolute best thing in my life, absolutely. But as far as career and everything, that just kind of happened. I didn't really have a drive or a passion. Um, I worked at a hardware store. I can cut PVC, conduit, copper tubing. I can mix paint. I learned a lot at the hardware store, but it wasn't like, oh, my dream job to work at the hardware store. And then after that, I cleaned houses. I started my own business. And not to disparage cleaning houses, it was a great, great business. I, woo, I made a ton of money. I made a ton of money. I set my own hours. I picked my kid every day up from school. Nobody heard his story before I heard it. I mean, I, and I was good at it. And the nice thing about cleaning houses, instant gratification. You clean it, you don't have to see it get messed up. That's awesome. <laughs> at my house, it doesn't work. I systematically watch the people I live with ruin the job I did, you know. But being that it was such a physical job, and anybody that cleans knows it is, it's really physical, I would go get massages whenever I could. And I had a great massage therapist. Her name is Maggie Brecken. She doesn't live here anymore, but she was amazing, amazing. And um, she said to me, she said, you don't look like you feel very good. And I said, no, I really don't. I'm just like, oh, I'm tired, my, I'm achy, blah, blah, blah. And she says, well, let's do a reflexology session. And just like Kelly said, I was like, what's that? You know, and I'm really open to all alternative therapies. So she did the reflexology session and I thought it was amazing, amazing. So every time I would go and get a reflexology or I'd go for the massage, I'd always ask her, can we do reflexology? And she would say yes. And then one day she said, why aren't you doing this? You would be great at this. Now nobody, and in, I don't mean to act like I didn't have a supportive family or friends, but nobody had ever told me I'd be great at something before I did it. Usually I had to do it, be good at it, and then they tell you you're good at it. But this one woman said, you gotta do this. You'd be great at this. And that lit a fire in me, because that's the first time I'd ever heard that. But I'm still that kid on the side of the pool, clinging, and I already had a good thing going. And so, I didn't do anything for three years. And I shouldn't say I didn't do anything. I read about reflexology. I watched videos about reflexology. I daydreamed while I'm scrubbing other people's toilets about reflexology. You know, it was my own little personal dream. Like, oh, I knew what my room would look like. I knew what I would do. Oh, so great. But I really kind of didn't think it would ever, ever happen. You know, um, and then my husband got deployed to Iraq. And I didn't see that coming. And that was pretty scary. But just to maybe keep my little dream alive, I thought, I'm going to write a letter to a board member and just find out about schooling. So I did that, and she called me two days later, and she said, I'm starting a school in Carrington. There's only two other women going. Um, I, why, don't you, why don't you come and do this? And you know when you get that intuitive hit, like, this is my shot, man. This ain't going to come again. I'm never going to get closer than Carrington. Um, but everything else about it looked wrong. My husband was gone. I was a single mom. I had a small child at home. I already had a great job, and I was almost 40. And people in my family, nobody started new stuff when they were 40. 
Um, if you had a secure thing and you had good money coming in, that's what you did. You know, you weren't like, who do you, it was kind of like, who do you think you are going out and starting a new career, you know? But Maggie kept saying, you would be great at this. And so I thought, I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to do it. And um, again, not to say my friends and family weren't supportive, they were, but it was a little bit like, okay, you're going to do what? And one of my brothers had said to me, let me get this straight. You're going to touch people's feet in your house for a living? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally going to do that. And they're used to me being really weird. But this was even weird for me, you know, because nobody knew what reflexology was. And, and it was just new, and it was new to me. But that was the one best decision I ever made for myself, to take that shot. And I'll be forever indebted to Maggie for saying that to me because like I said most of the time I had to prove myself first and then um, just I had to prove myself first and then here you did a good job but she really believed in me and she really told me you'd be great at this went to school started my business uh, had I had help my best friend Christy Jansen owned a coffee shop and she would hand out my business cards and put up posters for me and tell people about me. And um, I would hang out at her coffee shop a lot and try to meet people. And, and then one good thing about this town, I've been born and raised here. Um, I know a lot of people, so that helps. And word of mouth is really good and helps, but that's, that's a double-edged sword and, and we'll get to that in a minute. So that was all going really good. You know, and I did get a new career at 40, and I was able to uh, be really good at something and have something that really lit me up. And I'll, I'll never regret taking those chances and doing it. So if you have something in your mind that says, I'm too old for this, I shouldn't be doing this, um, there's too many obstacles, trust me. I don't know, have you ever heard of Mel Robbins? She has the five-second rule. You have five seconds before your brain starts talking you out of shit, you know? That's it. You have a great idea, and then your brain starts telling you uh, all the things that are going to go wrong. You have to stifle that because it will talk you right out of what you want to do. And if I would have let that happen, I, if I would have stayed that little girl on the side of the pool, I wouldn't have the great career that I have now. That, and it's really true. When you love what you do, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, you guys. I have off days, but when you love what you do, you know, it's the world. It is absolutely the world to love what you do. And, and um, so I'm really glad that I did that and I took that opportunity. So now we're going to kind of go jump over to the mess. So my title of this speech was, You're Never Too Old to Chase a Dream. So that was my dream. But you're also never too old to clean up a mess. And I kind of had a dirty little secret in my life that wasn't dirty and really wasn't a secret. But that's how I felt it was. Um, I had a weight problem my entire life, and it had to do with the fear I always felt. I would just eat to stifle that fear. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I just thought, like, I was, I didn't have any willpower. I had bad character. I just hadn't found the right diet yet. Oh, because I went on every diet known to man. But three things really brought it into supreme focus of what was going on. Uh, my 10-year-old nephew, Ben, uh, has e-wing sarcoma. He had a lump on his knee and he was diagnosed and e-wing sarcoma is bone cancer in children. So that happened and again, didn't see that coming. 
and pretty upsetting for a child that young to be going through cancer. I mean, we just thought he had some growing pains and here it's cancer. A few months later, my mother-in-law, Eleanor, uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer that was spreading throughout her whole body. And uh, that was pretty bleak and, and didn't look good. And then my best friend, Christy, got diagnosed with leomyosarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer. And, you know, I did exactly what they always tell you not to do. Don't look it up online. I looked it up online, and it's horrible. Like, leomyo is tough. And I don't think I've ever felt that kind of fear in my entire life, to have so many people, um, just one after another. I mean, this wasn't years. This was literally weeks and months that were coming up with cancer. And, and... I want to say, oh, I was brave. I was there for them. I ate my way through it. I ate so much that I couldn't stop. There's some weird trigger in my brain. It's called addiction. I know that now. I didn't know that then. There's some weird trigger in my brain that while I'm eating, and when I have that super full feeling, I'm not afraid. But the minute it goes away, it comes right back. And then I start the cycle all over again. And then I lay in bed at night and say, I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to eat like this tomorrow. And then I would eat like that tomorrow because I was scared out of my freaking mind. And uh, not to make their issues my issues, but it was. I was that afraid. And um, I was watching some infomercial or something some night. And the commercial said something about um, addiction. They were talking about alcoholics. And I thought... They, they were going through all the different ways you would know you're an alcoholic. And I thought, if you took the word alcohol out of there and you put the word food in, that would be my whole story. That would explain me down to a T. And I have a lot of addiction in my family. But I was in denial. I'm not an addict. All they, they're all addicts, but I'm not, you know. But I started, I started to kind of have a moment of clarity. And um, I know 12-step programs work. So I looked up to see if there was um, an OA meeting, which is Overeaters Anonymous. And um, I decided, you know, I think I'm going to go to this. But there was almost one thing that kept me from going. And again, this is that flip side of knowing so many people in town. I thought, I'm going to walk into that meeting, and I'm going to see somebody I know. I just know it, you know. And I wish I knew this line at the time, and I didn't, but I definitely, it is part of my repertoire now. You can't save your ass and your face at the same time. And if you have a choice, save your ass. Your face doesn't matter. Because I went to that meeting, and it made all the difference in the world. I'm about 16, I don't weigh a lot. I'm about 16 pounds from being 100 pounds down. And... Um, that 10 or that 12 step program taught me how to live. It taught me how to not be in fear all the time. Those steps are priceless to me. I embrace it. And I'm not here to talk you into a 12 step program. I'm really not. I'm here to tell you I was 47 when I found that program. Um, I'll be 51 at the end of March. It did, the weight didn't come off immediately. I went there to lose weight. I stayed for the sanity because it really taught me how to live. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid right now. I, I still have scary days, and I still have fear, but that fear doesn't drive my life like it used to anymore. And in fact, I like to always say, or I think this to myself, I try to look at my obstacles and my problems as a knife. And I know this is weird, but stick with me. 
So if you pick up a knife by the blade, what can you do with it? It's pretty well useless. And then if you do try to do anything, you're going to cut yourself and you're going to die a, de a death of a thousand cuts. And I held most of my problems by the blade and I would just eat my way through it, cutting myself over and over. But if you hold your knife by the handle, now it's a tool. And now you can do a lot with it. Cut, chop, make a boundary, stir if you have to, uh, unlock a door, use it as a screwdriver. I've done that. Um, so I try to always ask myself, am I grabbing the blade of this or am I grabbing the handle? So, um, and then the other thing I'll say too is, you know, there is another line, in 12-step programs, there's a line called um, stick with the winners. And I didn't never like that cliche because what's a winner? I don't know what a winner is. So somebody on a podcast once said, it was a 12-step podcast, said, how about stick with the stickers? Stick with the people that stick by you. There was a lot of times I was tough to be around and people stuck by me and they excused some of my worst behavior. Um, so always think of it that, like, stick with the stickers. Uh, winners are, you know, I, again, I don't know what a winner is, but I know what a sticker is. I know what people that have stuck by me during the really worst and hard times. So um, let me give you a little update about those three people. So Christy, luckily, uh, she... Well, she didn't really have a choice. I came to Mayo with her and her husband. <laughs> and they did a, it was called a fish test on her tumor, and she was misdiagnosed. And that was one of the biggest blessings in the world, to know that she did not have leomyosarcoma. And, um, you know, we've been together since we were 12. Like, there are very few people that know me better than this person. And I could not imagine life without her. My mother-in-law, um, they gave her three months. She had three weeks. So she passed. And when somebody that you've kind of had a contentious relationship passes, it's really tough. Because you just always wish you would have had more time to maybe make things a little better. And uh, we, I think we were in an okay place. But, you know, if I would have gotten my crap together a lot earlier, I would have been probably a better daughter-in-law and a better person but um, it gives me comfort that I know she is in a better place. My nephew, Ben, uh, he had a titanium rod put in his leg, and that titanium rod actually broke right at Mayo uh, at the clinic at Mayo when he was getting a checkup, and they did the scans, and the cancer was back, and he lost his leg. The cancer is now metastasized, and... Um, that is really, really hard to deal with. Uh, he's 14 now, and he's amazing. But to watch my nephew and my brother and my sister-in-law and my extended family go through that much pain, I'm really blessed to have a program that helps me help them. Because this program just isn't for me. It also helps me be a better person for them. So... Ben and my brother and sister-in-law and the other kids were able to come home for Christmas, which was so great. And um, day after Christmas, my sister-in-law gets a call from, the onco from Ben's oncologist, and the cancer's back. And he has a tumor in his skull and on his back. And after some reflection and some tears, I almost called Kelly, and I almost said, I don't think I can do this talk. 
because I don't know if I can walk my, walk my talk. I don't know if I'll be able to let go of the blade. I don't know if I'll be able to let go of the blade of this if Ben's outcome isn't what I wanted. But the beauty of this talk is you're all my accountability partners now. So I will not let that beautiful son's life be the reason that I would harm myself again. I will learn, I promise I will learn to grab the handle. And if I don't know how to grab the handle, I will save my ass and I will get some help. So thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening and I hope something resonates with you. Thank you so much, Marnie, for talking us through that and for being so brave, truly. And um, it's just remarkable to be able to hear stories from women who I look up to so much. So I really appreciate that, Marnie.